But we've been in the book of 1 John, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, my time here. I love, this is one of my favorite books. But not only do I love the book of 1 John, but I'll tell you something else that I really do enjoy, food trucks. I love food trucks. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, how can you eat at the Roach Coach? I love a Roach Coach. I think they're just about, they're God's gift to mankind. And when we moved down here to Florida and I took one drive down Lee Boulevard, I said, I have died and gone to heaven. I love food trucks. You know, the difficult thing for me is when I go to the food trucks, fear sets in. Have you ever been that way? You know, you go in and you, there's, there's like 15 food trucks around you and fear sets in. Not the fear of, oh, what is going to be in that? My fear is that I'm going to get something and then I'm going to see what somebody else got and wish that I had gotten that. It, there's too many options. It's like going to a buffet when you all, you know, it, it's, it's, I only have one stomach. But here's the buffet that's placed before you. And so fear kind of set, sets in and I've got so many options before me and I get excited and I'm just looking and I love international food. Love international food. So if I go to a, if I go to a group of food trucks and the only options are like hot dogs and hamburgers, and it's just, this is it's game over. But when you look and it's like okay, here the Cuban foods over here, the Mexican foods over here, the Honduran foods over here. I'm just oh, what do you do? And panic ensues. This is an honest problem. I'm serious as a heart attack. Panic. I, I, I get to the point where I almost hyperventilate. I drive my family nuts because I go to every single food truck looking and smelling what's available. And then finally, I make my decision. And I just say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. I get excited at a food truck. You know, everybody has these kind of opportunities and these, these things that kind of uh, approach them and the, 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 the issue that is before us here in the book of, second, uh, of 1 John chapter 2, the issue that is before us here is something similar to that. It all comes down to this. It's about choices. Choices. You know, when we're faced with choices, which we are faced with choices every day of our life, we are faced with choices. Uh, so many people think, well, what if I don't like things? You know, what if I don't make the right decisions? But then what happens is so often it becomes difficult to choose, not because you have, well, this looks bad and that looks good, but because this looks good, this looks good, this looks good, this looks good, this looks good. And so the question really kind of comes down to, am I choosing what's good or am I choosing what's best? And this is what the apostle kind of places for us here. He puts before us uh, uh, something that is, is, is important for us as we continue our study. Uh, the options between choosing what is good and choosing what is best. If you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And we'll be looking here in 1 John, chapter number 2, starting in verse 15. John says it this way, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Father, would you speak to us this morning? Open our hearts, 
and open our minds as we get into your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we have before us here another test. This is sort of a, uh, uh, as we've looked through uh, John here, he has laid down different uh, uh, ways that we can know, certain litmus tests that we can look at as far as do we truly know God or do we not know God. And remember, 1 John is written to a group of people who were concerned at this stage uh, of their walk. They were wondering, how, how do I know, how do I fully know if I am born again by the Spirit of God? Some people had left. You had the, uh, uh, the influence of the Gnostic Gospels coming into play, and these Gnostics were bringing about different ideas, and, and people were wondering, do I truly have the right doctrine? Do I truly have the right Gospel? How do I really know that I'm saved? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not saved. And, and these people are leaving because they think that we're doing things wrong. How do I know? And uh, John writes to us here in 1 John, and he tells us, uh, the different reasons that he's writing, but one of the reasons that he gives to us at the end in John, First uh, John chapter number five, he lets us know these things have I written unto you that believe. So he's writing to believers that you may know. And so John is putting it out there very seriously and very honestly and very bluntly. In many cases, we've looked at several blunt things as we've come down through here. Uh, he lets us know that uh, uh, anybody who loves uh, uh, loves is uh, knows God, but anybody who does not love, uh, uh, they're a liar. If they don't love their brother and they have hatred in their heart, but they say that they know God, well, wait a minute, this is not in keeping. And so John puts all these things out, and he makes very blunt statements that we've looked at as we've gone through here. But John places before us another test of walking in the light having already assured the believers of their position in God, that their sins are forgiven, that they know the Father, so forth and so on, now he begins to move into sort of an application phase. So he, he uh, sort of sets everything up. Here are the details. Here's the facts. Now here's the application of it. He starts to move in, in a little bit more into application. And the first thing that he puts out right there in the beginning of verse number 15, he says, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And John has, a, has the ability to put some blunt statements out, but it, it just in a loving way. Have you ever known someone like that? They know how to just tell you off, but they do it with a smile, and you feel like you've been hugged. And it's like, they're so sweet. And then somebody else is going, I didn't hear that. They're so loving. This is John the Beloved. He is delivering some information pretty heavy stuff, but he does it in such a way that you walk away feeling like you were just hugged. Now, there's a warning that's given here to not love the world, and John presents two main reasons. One, because love of the world overshadows the love of God. And the second is because love of the world is meaningless as the world will eventually pass away. And so take those two ideas to heart for just a moment. The Apostle John says, don't love this world because it's going to be passing away. And any love of this world overshadows the love for God. We're going to kind of develop these as we go. But uh, notice what he says, love not the world. The, the first question that would kind of come into play is, well, what does he mean by the world? Well, this word that is being used here, the word for cosmos, 
it's not just the idea of the world as in like the creation. I, I truly believe there are many people who have taken passages such as this and they have tried to make it sound like anybody who is a conservationist uh, is wrong. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't care whether or not uh, uh, animals suffer or, or whether or not uh, the resources are depleted. And that's just a waste of time. That's not what is being taught here. Don't misunderstand what is what John is talking about. The idea of the world uh, in the ancient days in the ancient world, the basic Jewish thought was that you had two basic. Um, uh, uh, ages. You had the this present age and the age to come. And the present age was full of evil and then the days to come would be full of good. Paul referred to this, for example, in, in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 talking about Jesus. He says he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Uh, Paul also taught Titus about it in Titus chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so there was an idea, the, the Jewish people had the idea that followed suit when it came to the early church, that you had the present world, which was full of evil, and then you had the world to come which would be the day when God set up His rule and His reign on the earth. But what's interesting, for the Christian, it wasn't just you had the present world and then down the road there was going to be a good day. For the Christian, we could live that way now. And this is what he's talking about. This is why Paul even said to Titus, uh, teaching us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We can live the way we are going to be able to live when He sets up His rule and reign. We can do that now, today. And so John is not talking about not loving, you know, don't love a sunset. How can you not love a sunset? They're beautiful. You see the orange, you see the red, you see the yellows. How can you not love a rainbow? You see it and it hits the, you see it and you just, wow, I'm, I'm like a kid again. Let's go chase the end of it. Maybe there actually is a pot of gold. You never know. It's not talking about not appreciating the creation that God has placed here. It's talking about don't fall in love with just what this world has to offer. There's a difference here. When writing to Timothy, he, uh, uh, he talked about Demas having forsaken him because he loved this present world. In other words, Demas chose the things of this world over faithfulness to God and His people. That's what he was talking about. And so Jesus comes along, he unleashes the second age, uh, the age of the kingdom of God. Uh, this life, though, the life of the Christian should be a life characterized by a life lived in view of the age to come, which is why uh, there was to be a sharp cleaving between the Christian life and the life lived in this world. There is to be a marked difference there is. I don't go to the same place as they go. I don't do the same things that they do. My priorities are different. Now that doesn't necessarily mean because inevitably somebody is going to come up and say, so am I only allowed to uh, listen to certain kinds of music? I'm only allowed to watch certain kinds of television shows? Yes. You're only allowed to sing hymns and read Leviticus and now your life is over. 
That's not what is being taught. No, 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 no. By any stretch of the imagination. What he's saying is, don't settle for the good when the best is offered. When we look at this book in its entirety, if you want to take just a moment, everything in the book kind of communicates. Jump over to the end of it, 1 John chapter number 5, and I want you to notice what John places at the very end of this book. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 reads, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Idols. An idol is anything that I place ahead of God. For Adam and Eve, that fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, their ability to become as God, became their idol, their pride. And here in 1 John, he starts to reference some of this, and he even takes us back to it in our mind's eye. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what Adam and Eve struggled with at the very beginning. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life ate them up, and they chose it over Him. Anything that we choose ahead of God is an idol. Anything. And some of those things are good things. There's nothing wrong with me doting over my wife and my children, but the moment I elect to put them ahead of my, uh, my relationship with Him, we got a problem. You know, there's a lot of people that sleep is an idol. Sleep. Now, if you, I've, I've never put sleep as an idol before. Nobody, nobody puts sleep as an idol, preacher. You're crazy. Nobody has an idol called sleep. Really? How many times have you opted for more sleep as opposed to getting up and spending time in the Word? How many times have we omitted that nightly prayer because we are just too tired? A lot of people, it's, it's money. Or that admiration from their boss. Well, I'd love to go to church, but I got an opportunity here for uh, overtime. My company doesn't just pay overtime time and a half. They pay double time, preacher. (laughs) I can get a better car. Well, maybe that's become an idol. What we have to learn to do, John is not saying that working overtime is a bad thing. He's not saying earning money. Beloved, let me help you out with something real quick. I don't have any problem with money. I have heard way too many preachers misapply Scripture and they say that money is the root of all evil. That is not true. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money matches any outfit. You can pin it to your lapel and it will look good no matter what color you got on. I like a dollar just as much as the next person. But when it takes precedence over him, it becomes wrong. My choice of activities or my style, I, I can go have a good time and have a lot of fun with my wife and kids. We, we, we know how to just, we know how to have a good time. You come by our house sometime, we might be on the back porch annoying our neighbors singing karaoke. 
loud karaoke. And we were run out of three different towns. This one, this one might be the next one. I don't know. We have a good time. But it's important for us to maintain priority. Let's take a look at just a few more things about this. The life of the Christian being this way. He says not only to not love the world, he says neither the things that are in the world. Uh, notice with me what he says here uh, in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know what's interesting here? In verse 15, he ends it by saying, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I think it's important for us to understand what it's talking about. The Apostle John, in his typical fashion, rivals one statement with a similar one. He takes one statement and he says, let's amp amplify it just a little bit with a similar statement. And they, he brings them together. So he says, don't love the world. But then he follows it up this way. He says, if anyone loves the world, then that means the love of the Father is not in him. Now, does that mean that if a... Uh, if someone who is born again by the Spirit of God makes a decision and they choose the world over the things of God, then that means that they've lost their salvation or maybe they never had it to begin with. Listen, the love of the world is the preference of the world. And what he is teaching in this, he is not saying that that person is not saved. What he is saying is that they aren't, uh, they aren't having love of the world. They're not, love of, or they're not having love of God. They're not having a love of Him. They have chosen to, uh, to put something else ahead of that. And so understand right up front what he's trying to teach. In other words, to choose this world and what it offers, man must reject God and what he offers to do so. I, I, I was, uh, uh, years ago, um, well, I've not always been a pastor. Uh, I didn't come out of the womb pastoring. Um, I had a past, still had that past. But there was a time where I wouldn't darken this, darken this door of the church, and I just, I just wouldn't. And I ran into somebody who was uh, uh, instrumental in my life, and ran into him at the uh, mall one day, and he said, "Where have you been lately? Been missing you at church." You know, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, I can tell him I've been working a lot. Uh, just tell him I've just been busy. I, I started going through all these, and finally I just looked at him and I said, peanut butter. And he had the same expression many of you have on your faces right now. He said, peanut butter? I said, one excuse is as good as another. I haven't been there. Because I haven't been there. For me, to choose the things that I was doing meant I had to reject the other thing. I loved what I wanted to do more than I loved Him. Think about it for a moment. We do this. This is not just a, this is not a, an opportunity for the pastor to uh, get, get on to people who don't show up on Sundays. That's not what we're doing here. Listen. I'm not worried about your Sunday morning attendance. I'll be honest with you. You come Sunday morning, you come Wednesday night, you come to Sunday school, praise the Lord. 
How much time are you spending on your knees on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? How much time are you spending in the Word of God? How much time are you, are you letting this get into your mind and into your heart and affect you and change you? How much of Him does He have? How much of you does He have? I'm sorry. How much of you uh, is, is being poured into the, uh, the, the things of God and, and the, the, the Word of God? And, and you let this Word get into you, it will change your heart. It will change your life. If all you're doing is worrying about Sunday morning attendance, Wednesday night attendance, going to Sunday school, getting involved in this Bible study or that Bible study, you're missing the mark. It, if, if the only Bible you're getting is the Bible that you get on Sunday morning, you're, you're starving to death. And so I can be worried about, well, is so-and-so showing up on Sunday morning? Well, I hope that they're showing up on Sunday morning. Beloved, I want you to eat more than once a week. What if that's all you ever did? You went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You never ate anything. And then Sunday morning, you go to the buffet, and you gorge yourself. You're not going to be very healthy. There's a lot of people in the world today that are, that's exactly what they're doing. They show up on Sunday, they get their, they get their buffet fix, they, they, they gorge, and they eat, and they go home, and they regurgitate it. And Monday comes along, and they're starving. Tuesday, they're starving. Wednesday they're starving. Come Thursday, go visit them at work and see how much of, the, of, of Christ is still filtering through their mind. You wonder why, we're, why the world is the way it is? Because we've closed this book, put it to the side, and then Sunday morning we go try to find it. We've got to quit loving the things of the world. I guarantee you, if we treated our Bibles the way we treat our cell phones, there'd be a whole lot less of the garbage that we see in this world. People get up and, you ever have phantom vibrate? Your phone's nowhere near you. It's not even in the same car. And you feel vibration in your leg. And you reach. What was that? That's a problem. Just like that, though, does your heart yearn for this book? Many times, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll drive 400 miles to go back and pick up our cell phones. Oh, I left my cell phone. I can't be without my cell phone. But we won't get up a half hour early to read the book. Apparently, this was not a time of persecution in the church. Rather, this was a time of dangerous compromise. And John understood that, and he was trying to expose it. We have a similar uh, a statement made by the same pen. If you jump over to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter number 3. Look at Revelation 3 with me if you would. 
verse 14. Revelation 3.14 says this, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness of God, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with good, and have need of nothing, and knowest that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You know, this idea of the lukewarm. Several years ago, we were doing a, um, uh, a Christmas Eve service. And I never claimed to be the brightest bulb in the pack. I never claimed to be that. Um, but this proved it. We made hot chocolate... And I used the powdered hot chocolate and water. Powdered hot chocolate and water. I put it in this big carafe. I dumped the whole can in, man. Of course, it goes everywhere. And I mixed in the water and I'm stirring it. And I get hot chocolate ready for our Christmas Eve service. We had a lot of hot chocolate left over. And so I just took that big carafe thing home. I was going to wash it the next day. And so we take it home, and I set it in the kitchen. And next morning, I decided, hey, there's probably some hot chocolate left. And I decided I was going to get me a cup of hot chocolate. I didn't realize that even the powdered hot chocolate can curdle. And overnight, it had gone from hot chocolate to lukewarm curdled milk. And there I stood, put it in my cup. And I took a big old swig. I was excited. And first thing in the morning, get a nice cup of hot chocolate. Christmas morning. And that goes in my mouth. I couldn't get to the sink quick enough. <coughs> uh, just letting you know. Powdered hot chocolate, even though it's made with water and not milk, still curdles. Luke warm. People like milkshakes and they like hot chocolate. They like cold chocolate milk and they like hot chocolate. Nobody, nobody wants lukewarm nastiness. It's the same thing with coffee. People either like it hot or they like it cold. I don't know what you all do with this iced coffee garbage. That's just weird. Y'all are, y'all are some kind of sick. But, but nobody wants lukewarm you either take it and you pour it over ice or you put it back in the microwave and heat it back up, right? There's a lot of people, God is saying, I just wish you were cold or hot. Quit being lukewarm. The love of the Father not being in Him. The look at verse 16 now. I'm sorry, verse 17 And the world passeth away, and lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know, we can look through verse 16, all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. You know, this, this uh, whole idea, we, we've looked at it before, and, and, and we could spend time there again. But basically, the apostle is trying to help us understand to experience any of this is not godly, nor is it Christ's honor. 
And you know that that term for the pride of life is actually, the word that is used there for life is not the word zoe, which means life life. It's, it's uh, uh, bios, which is more of uh, an idea of your goods or your way of living. In other words, to prefer your livelihood or your way of life over him. But then he gets into this because he wastes no time letting us know which is of more value. Anything of this world is fleeting. Everything that we can do in this world will pass away. However, whatever we do for him lasts forever. All the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. John makes it understood that anything in this world is going to pass away. Nothing that this world has to offer has lasting value in comparison to what the Lord has to offer. Listen, spending time with your children is wonderful. Spending time with them around the Word of God is better. Not my word, too. Ask yourself, yeah, are you spending time with your kids? You may be the greatest dad or the greatest mom that has ever walked the face of the planet. How much of God do they know because of the time that you have spent with them? How much of the Word of God do they know because of what you have invested in them? Get into it. Invest in them. You know, taking my wife, I love to take my wife on a date. Look, when we got married, she didn't stop being my girlfriend. She's still my girlfriend. And I like taking her out on dates. I enjoy it. I take her around. This is my trophy wife. And I just kind of walk through and just... <laughs> I know I married up. This, she's got bad eyes. Praise God. I, and, and I'm just thankful that she married me. But you know what's of even more value? 4.30 in the morning. I'm on my knees to her. That's that. No amount of dates can come close to the, to the calluses on my knees. That I'm developing for her. No man. No man. Even as a pastor, there are many things that I can get involved in that are good. But I've got to be careful to not sacrifice the best for the good. You know, the call of ministry is not a call of dominion. It is the call to service. That's what you have been called to if you are born again by the Spirit of God. Shortly, we're going to be witnessing the baptism of two young men. And this is exactly what is being stated in baptism. I want us to understand before we go any further, baptism does nothing for your salvation. Nothing. There's no saving grace in this water. Not a bit. Getting somebody in the water doesn't make them saved and pulling them back out of the water. That This water is not washing away their sins. None of that. 
It's, I, I compare it to my wedding ring. I just removed my wedding ring. Am I still married? You better believe it. This just shows that I'm married. That's what baptism is about. Baptism is, is an association. It's identifying. It's an outward profession of what has taken place in a person's heart. We proclaim to other people that I have died to myself. Uh, take just a moment, and we're going to close with this as we get ready for baptism. Uh, take just a moment to look at the book of Romans. Go back to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 6. And this is exactly what's taking place with baptism. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3. It says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Catch that. Look at verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Here's what's taking place. When I get in the water, I am saying that I have been crucified with Christ. I go under the water stating I have been buried. My old self, the old me, the old desires, the old wants, the old hungers, the old passions, they have been buried. They are dead. And when I come out of the water, I'm saying I am raised to walk a new life. This is what's taking place. John said, don't love the world. We don't love something when we're dead to it. Pursue Him. This is what's being stated in baptism. Becoming a child of God is not just about praying a prayer to get into heaven. It is choosing God over everything else. That's salvation. I get so weary of this repeat after me type of uh, approach to everything. I, I, I don't like that because it, it, it's, it's not, I don't find it in Scripture. I don't know anywhere in Scripture where Jesus said, repeat this prayer. But He did say over and over and over again, follow me. Sell it. Follow me. Give up that. Follow me. What is keeping you from following Him? What's keeping you from making that decision? Have you made this decision? Have you chosen to abandon self and follow Christ? This means you no longer chase after the things of this world. Instead, you pursue Christ. And the call of repentance, understand this, is not only to the unbeliever. The call of repentance is to the believer. We die daily. Reckoning ourselves daily to be dead. Sin. And so when I'm presented with these opportunities, if I'm more concerned about the things of the world, John said it this way, love of the world means it's love of the Father, not in me. Have you placed something in this world ahead of your pursuit of God? Examine your life. This is not to say that you're going to be perfect for the rest of your life. Well, you know, I don't know. I, 
I, I was doing okay, but now I'm just messing up. Hey, I do it. We all do it. And the question is, are you daily repenting of that? Lord, help me to be more like you. Help me to grow closer to you. Beloved, we're all in need of this examination. John's not trying to beat us up. He's encouraging us. I know you have choices ahead of you. Choose well. Don't settle for the good. Pursue the best. Being a good dad and a good mom, good husband, good wife, these are all fine. But give yourself to Christ and let Him make you the husband or the wife or the mother or father or the, uh, the neighbor or the co-worker. Let Him be the one to mold you and shape you into that. So often we settle for good and the best is before us. Which one are you choosing? You know, to love something is to prefer it. If there is anywhere that you would rather be today than in the house of God worshiping Him, why? Why? We're getting ready to celebrate two young men who have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. What out there could compare? What baseball game could compare? What football game could compare? What food truck could compare? This is what it's all about. Father, we come before you asking that you would expose our heart's deepest need. And Father, it's, it's humbling many times when we find that we're lacking. And Father, if we were honest with ourselves, we would, we would, every single one of us, admit that there are things that we choose over You regularly. So, Father... Would you work in our hearts? Would you change us? Father, expose it to us and don't let us get a moment's sleep until we have given it up. Or give, us, give us turmoil in our souls over whatever it is that we have placed as an idol ahead of you. And Lord, we commit ourselves now to dealing with those idols. Putting them out to destroying them if need be. Because you are the only one worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship and our attention. We pray all of this in the name of above every name. Amen. For once I'm taller. Well, we have uh, we have William Jennings Churchill. What a strong name. <laughs> uh, and uh, he is pre presenting himself to the church uh, for believers' baptism. And, uh, Will, there's been a time in your life where you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yes, sir. You have elected to die to yourself and to follow Him. Yeah. 
Amen. Well, Will, based on your profession of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are buried with Him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. This in the hot tub. Come on up, buddy. <laughs> and you turn around here and get a picture with you. Nope. Turn around here. There we go. Get a picture with you. This is my son, Gabriel Leo Lake. Gabriel, uh, when he was young, made a profession. But then uh, uh, over the past year, the Lord's really been dealing with his heart, and uh, he made a decision not too long ago. Gabriel, you have decided to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, uh, to die to yourself, and to live for him. And Gabriel, it's cold in this water, folks. This is going to be fun. I might have to hold him down a little longer. Gabriel, based on your profession in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I baptize you, my little brother. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs>